Do you know what? Given your tomfoolery, my internet, uh, it probably was you. Listeners, we lived together in college and I can't tell you the amount of pain I was put through with Bill messing with like everything possible that could be messed with on my uh, laptop. I did only some of those things. (laughs) I'm only thankful, Bill, that I, uh, during uh, college, I only had one internet-enabled device, right? That you could only mess with (laughs) one thing. If I had a smartphone, you would have, like, you would have been, like, Groundhog Day. Like, every day, come home to, like, the same stuff happening on my... (laughs) Ah, you're so infuriating sometimes. But you love me. (laughs) I do, I do. Uh, Okay, so we do the same thing as last time. Um, as in we talk about the Irish YouTubers conference and we talk about Starship Mine. And we talk about Starship Mine. I think we should probably tell the listeners that this is our second recording. Sure, yeah. Yeah, because like lots of the sort of funniness from the first recording won't come across. Um, yeah. So we should we should probably do this. So do you want to start? Um, I, okay. Uh, <laughs> as in like, as in from now, this point on, this is official podcast. Okay, clap. There we go. Great. <laughs> Sorry, was that really loud on you? No, no, it's fine. No, it's not at all. Uh, yeah, so <clears throat> I think, Bill, we should let the people know that we have a bit of a secret. Uh, well, that's not really how secrets work, but I, I agree in principle. But <laughs> this is honesty is always the best <laughs> policy, you know? Our, our little secret is that uh, this is our second recording of episode three. Because the first recording uh, was doomed to failure because Edgar had a bit of a massive systems crash. And we lost about, what was it, about an hour of recording? An hour, an hour and a half, thereabouts. Yeah, which was unfortunate because I actually quite liked what we had done. Yeah, no, we, we, we did some good work that day. Yeah. And now we only have half of it because my recording remains intact, but without without Edgar's dulcet tones, it's a bit rubbish really, isn't it? Dulcet tones. <laughs> so, I suppose to start off, I was in Google a few weeks ago. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, for the uh, Irish YouTubers um, Creators Day. Should I act this as, like, though you haven't told me already, or... No, double down on sarcastic, I already know this, but go on, sure, anyways. Okay. <laughs> no, as in, like, we may we may as well play up to the fault that we have, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, are you going to put that bit in as well? Because that would be really funny. <laughs> Do you want to leave that bit in? It's up to you. See uh, how it sounds. We'll in leave the end. it. We'll leave it in. Uh, <laughs> we'll go for a really sort of informal approach to episode three. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, so I was at uh, the Irish YouTubers Creators Day conference. Oh. Uh, in in Dublin, and uh, essentially it was kind of like VidCon for Irish people. VidCon being like a a video con of some sort, a YouTube con, I assume. Yeah, it's the big YouTube con in the states. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, so it was really good. And I thought we might speak about this again today. Certainly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'd love to have my memory refreshed on this topic. This is true. This is true. So I don't know if people are familiar with how these sort of conventions go, but uh, it was just basically an entire day, like an eight hour day, I suppose, of talking about life on YouTube, how to excel at YouTube and, you know, how to make your channel uh, as good as it can be. Okay. Which was very interesting, but I left there feeling really happy uh, and at the same time really pessimistic about artifacts seen on the internet. Oh. Why is yeah. that good? From, from the day, um, it became clear that YouTube is becoming ever, ever more geared towards really fast, topical, short content. Okay. Which is 100% not what Artifexian is. So, like, like it's really hard to do, like, topical world building. And it's really hard to do world building in a manner, in a short, snappy sort of manner, whereby it could go viral. The very nature of what I do is, like, unviral. Yeah. Yeah. And YouTube is constantly, like, changing its algorithm, changing the way it orientates itself to, to accommodate for those videos that play up to the virality of things. Right. Yeah, so, and this became increasingly clear when we, we had professionals from the inside of YouTube go through our uh, stats and our data on our channels, and it became increasingly clear that YouTube is not a place, it's not really a place for education, which is a bit sad. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, I know from, from my job, uh, which is teaching music, that I, I have a lot of people who, who do kind of learn things off YouTube, like, people do kind of seem to want that out of the resource, Obviously, there is educational content on YouTube, 
but it's not geared toward like as a as a platform it's not well geared towards that exactly yeah exactly like right. a, like a good example would be um you know the way if you you have a course say say i run a course in i don't know how to write a great novel okay and it's a five part series so i have part one part two part three part four part five say i stumble across across part one on youtube in the recommended section at the side of the page, rarely ever will they recommend the the rest of the course. Yes, okay. You know? And like I'm, I'm sure everyone has experienced this on YouTube, where you have like you have part three, you're watching part three, and you're looking at the side, trying desperately to find part four, mm-hmm. but part four isn't there yet. Part five and part six, for example, all are. Yeah. And that's just another way they don't gear towards content that has a oh, like a long arc to it. You know, it's geared towards you know one off videos. And quick one-off videos, yeah. Which 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 is unfortunate. Like I I knew these things, but to have it like pointed out to me by experts made me just kind of feel like Jesus, Artifexian probably, you know, probably won't ever become like big, like big big. Well, I mean, you're doing pretty okay for yourself at the moment, aren't you? Yeah, I'm not. Oh, I, I'm a hundred percent not snubbing what I have. This is what what I have at the moment is mind blowing. Like, I, I think I told you before that if I could get through year one with about a, a thousand subscribers, it would be like a serious achievement. Yeah. And, and like now we've just crossed the year threshold, and I'm just shy of five thousand, which is a five x improvement on my wildest goals. Like. Yeah. So I'm not snubbing it for like uh like at all. But the serious numbers, like the millions upon millions, uh, I think such a niche topic and such a niche educational topic won't ever, like, come to the fore on YouTube. Yeah. Which is seriously unfortunate, you know? Yeah, but, and, and I mean, this, this is what I said to you the last time we talked about this, but you do have goals, you do have other goals. You've, there's, like, an, an artistic goal to what you're doing as well that is, you know... YouTube's aims are to promote a certain kind of content and your content is different and you have an artistic kind of aim with the content you produce and mm. that's okay. Yeah, totally, 100%. Yeah, I just I just kind of wish that YouTube would be more catering towards different type of content, you know? Yeah, that it was more flexible. That was more flexible. Like, And this is why you have like competitors, what you call coming to the fore, like Curious.com, is essentially a video site that's just solely dedicated to educational purposes. Yeah. And I think Yahoo wants to launch a competitor to YouTube, and I'm sure they'll try and exploit the uh, areas in which YouTube is weak. So people, so this is a thing that people have realized, but just YouTube doesn't seem to want to do anything about it, which is kind of weird. Um, and then, of course, there's other websites that are like solely educationally based, stuff like Khan Academy. Right, of course, yeah, but I think you're you're not going to get the same viewership on the likes of Can. Um, no, because that's, if that's you, fair. yeah, if you explicitly state that this channel is education, that can kind of like you know drive people away. Mm-hmm. But if it's kind of fun and jokey and kind of like oh, you do learn something along the way, then that can draw people in, you know. Yeah, and again, not this in Can Academy. Can Academy is awesome. Yeah, it's a great website. Yeah, so it is really, really good. I, I remember, I think in, in about two days, I did an entire art history module on Khan Academy. How was your art history module? Uh, yeah, it was fascinating. <laughs> it was Really? Like, I learned so much from it. Really? Huh. Yeah, it was, it was just like introduction to basic concepts and talking about materials. Cool. And I learned loads. And even... Like, even from a world-building point of view, I learned things. And I learned stuff about... Like how to how to look at art because I don't really know a lot about art. I just I have I have certain specific artists that I like and certain things that I like in art, but I don't you know I don't know how to read a canvas. I don't I'm not good at looking at the symbolism and stuff in paintings or in sculpture. But um, I learned quite a lot even from like the the first segment of the of the art history course on Khan Academy. Cool. I, I always found I was always intrigued to see how can Academy fared away from stuff that can be done on a blackboard, so to speak. Yeah. Like, in particular, maths. Like, Khan Academy is, like, you know, it is maths. It's renowned for its maths. Um, mm-hmm. And I've I've only ever done maths courses on Khan Academy, so it's particularly interesting. This is something I want to do at a later stage. I want to take their uh, more obscure courses. Yeah, I mean, what I'm... They, sorry, I'm just actually checking their website now. They do... Um, do they do computer programming courses? They do. This is a new thing on Khan, yeah. 
Brilliant, because I there's a couple of things I want to learn for music reasons, um, a couple of uh, languages I want to learn. So I'm going to check right now and see if they offer those ones. Uh, computer programming, JavaScript. Well, it looks like it's mostly Java. Okay, is that? I I don't know much about computer programming. I assume that's the easy one to get into. Um, it's I I don't really know, but it's it's a very common one anyway. So, um, I I I'm looking to learn uh, C sharp. Right. At, at some stage, it'll be like a summer project, maybe. Or there's lots of I'm thinking of maybe over the summer devoting a month or maybe six weeks at a time and just really putting a lot of time into various music uh, software programs, including kind of more programmy ones. Cool. I think yeah. it's a bit we'll of a see sh- if it happens. I think it's a bit of a shame that we aren't taught how to program in school. Yeah. The more I like do stuff on the internet, the more I realize I do need to be able to like write scripts. Um, like even say setting up the subreddit. Now, I know it's not serious yeah. coding or anything, but it, re- it requires you to write scripts to like orientate your banner and to get like uh, the snoo in the correct place uh, and to like have custom buttons and things like that. And these are all things I can't do at all. And it just seems like really basic stuff that really everyone should be able to do. Yeah, that's that's true. But you know, in in our day. At least in my school, there wasn't anyone who would have had the the knowledge to teach that, you know. <laughs> yeah, but they, we have moved on quite a bit. Like, I mean, my sister yeah. at the moment, she's she's fifteen, so she's still going through the middle of education. And computer programming, like, is just it's so far beyond the horizon. It's not going to arrive anytime soon, you know. Yeah. Which which is although, a shame. Although my um my old secondary school uh, recently won the award for digital school of the year, I think. Oh really. You Irish went, you, Digital School of the Year. You went yeah. to a virtual secondary school? <laughs> That's no. brilliant. Uh, just that they have good like IT programs. And I remember when I was in transition year there, uh, for the non-Irish people, that's like a, a sort of a gap year you take in school between your first set of exams and actually your leaving exams. Yeah, this is high um, school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a gap year before you start like the senior end of high school. And we had a CAD program, which was pretty great. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was I, I was in one of the first classes to do CAD in the school. That that's super advanced, like yeah. by the standards I experienced. That's crazy. Yeah, it was great. Huh. Anyhow, yeah. Once again, Bill and Edgar have gotten seriously derailed. Um, do you want to go back to talking about Google? I do want to go back to talking about <laughs> Google. So tell me more about the actual format of the day. Yeah. So uh, what happened was it it was a fairly early start. I think it started at like well for me it started at like seven in the morning because I had to commute in. Right. But the day started at about 11, uh, I think, okay. about that, yeah. Um, but it was four hours to get from the captains to get to Google. Uh, no, I spent a good bit of time in town uh, locating a nice microphone and buying a hot pink Nintendo DS. Okay, can we put a pin in that and come back to that later? <laughs> we will, we will. Uh, so, uh, well, to summarise, I had a bit of extra time which I spent at my leisure before 11 o'clock. Okay. So, yeah, we showed up and there was, oh, man, it was a crazy amount. But it's like 400 people at this, which is mental because it's not just 400 random members of the public. You had to have an active YouTube channel to be allowed to get in. Yeah. So there's 400 YouTubers, like, which is just, it blew my mind, because I still think of Ireland as a very, like, untechy place, which is kind of mm-hmm. bad, considering we have Google headquarters here. But I, I expect there to be, like, you know, 50 people, tops, but there's, like, 400, and I couldn't believe it. Like, the, the, the queue outside stretched around the block, which was mental. And watching that many people all vlog the day was crazy. <laughs> Wow. It looked like, yeah, it looked like the zombie apocalypse. Just people slowly walking, holding like phones and cameras out in front of them. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, we, yeah, we arrived, we queued, we got security clearance, which was pretty cool. We got a little scanny badge. So like for one day, I had security clearance to the headquarters of Google for Europe, Africa and the Middle East, which is just, just class. And yeah, and then the day just was a lot of talks uh, on, a lot of tech talks a lot of talks from famous Irish YouTubers who do quite well and, like, you know, finding out their methods and how they do things. There was... What else was there? There was free food, which was cool. Always good. Always good. And unlimited free food on tap, like. I, 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 I had, like, two carvery dinners. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> and, like, all the coffee you wanted. Oh, you want some really expensive coffee? That's okay. Have as much as you like. It's Google. It's fine. It was great. Wow. 
But yeah, and let me see. Well, I don't know what else. Oh, there was a, a Artifaxian was displayed on a rather large screen in Google, which is quite interesting. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it was really it's cool. a little achievement. I know, right? And you know what they did? They color corrected my videos. They looked even better on the big screen than they do when I make them. And I was like, oh, I want to know your secret. How do you get that white looking so white? Oh, like your, as in the background of your animations. Yeah, they just ran some color correction thing and it just the oh. whole, everything looked a little bit crisper. If you notice my videos, they're like um, slightly blue tinged. Because Is it a blue tinge? Yeah, it's like a blue... The early ones are slightly yellow tinged, I think. Yeah, the early ones are slightly yellow tinged because the early ones I didn't understand what color correction was and that was literally how the footage came raw out of the camera. And these ones, like I color correct to try and get optimal white inside of Final Cut. And it okay. looks it looks absolutely fine in Final Cut and even when I export the master file. But then it must be a compression thing because then when I uh, put it onto YouTube, the white turns into like this gray blue. So, okay. so if anyone has experience with color correction, like advanced color correction, please email me because I want to know these things because it, it's, it's kind of driving me a little bit nuts that they can get a perfect white and I can't. Um, silly question, but just to make sure we're on the same page, it, color correction is exactly what it sounds like, yeah? Yeah, you alter the RGB values. So you try, okay. you try and get a white that's actually white so you don't have a tip towards the red end of things or the blue or the green. Yeah. And yep. I suppose my next question was going to be, it's definitely an artifact of the video rather than something to do with your screen and have you tried it on various different screens. But then since you do Final Cut in your, on your own screen and it looks white, then yeah, it logically couldn't be just your screen. Yeah, and I've seen my videos on other people's laptops as well and they come out exactly the same. Um, right. So I, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know what it is. I have no idea. When I shoot the videos, they're always exposed correctly. So, like, okay. on my camera, my camera is telling me that I am, my balance is correct, uh, and my exposure is absolutely perfect, uh, but for some reason, it just still comes out bluey-grey. No idea. Hmm. And it, and it bugs me. It bugs me. Um, so you roll up into Google headquarters at 11 o'clock, and mm-hmm. there are 400 Irish YouTubers there. There are. Was there anyone that I'd recognise there? Any, like, kind of Irish YouTubers? Like, anyone from, kind of, the comedy scene or that well the big youtubers were that on the panels were jack guy do you know him uh he a let's player he's well yeah he's yeah he's a let's player he's a gamer yeah i've seen one video of his what, which was, what did you think um uh, let's plays aren't really my kind of thing it's not something i enjoy watching anyway okay it's i don't know i just I'd rather play games than, than watch them on YouTube play them. I get kind of impatient and distracted. And also the the affect of them isn't something I'm particularly interested in. Like, they're very high energy. And they're very yeah. kind of constant high energy. But it was fairly entertaining. Um, it was... I can't remember the name of the game. It was like Castaway or something like that. It was on a desert island. Okay. And um, he seemed to be having a lot of fun. He punched a shark. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it made the game look look pretty fun, so that's something. <laughs> yeah, I I same reasons as you. I don't particularly like watching let's plays. The only ones I will watch are the ones that are low octane. They're, they're not like pumped up all the time, you know. Yeah. There's one guy, uh, Corrales. He's a uh, oh god, he's Polish, but he lives in in Sweden, I think. Okay. And his ones, he does a lot of Minecraft stuff, or at least he did do a lot of Minecraft stuff. Uh, he seems to have changed recently, but his Minecraft stuff was really calm. It was, and it was mm. lots about like you know the quality of his building in Minecraft, and it was a very much an artistic sort of thing. Yeah, with hardly any shouting, you know, which was great because I I can't deal with I can't deal with the energy of gaming videos. I I can see that suiting Minecraft because I mean I haven't played it in a long time, but from when I I did play quite a bit of it. It could often be quite a sort of a calming, meditative experience. Yeah, exactly. And I often found it really weird when people did do Let's Plays and it was like manic. Mm. And I just couldn't understand. I was like, this is not what the game's about. I don't think I've ever felt impatient and manic within Minecraft. Yeah, maybe manic that time that I was on the shared server and some some griefers found our, our huge Masonic Hall that we'd built and set it on fire. <laughs> and we came, like, we came back like eight hours later the next day or something. Uh, to to this destruction and it was irrevocable. That was 
That was pretty sad. Yeah, I, I feel for you, man. Uh, well, Jack Septicai was one. Uh, mm-hmm. The other guy uh, was a guy called Dahi Denogla. Don't know him. Who is who is another gamer as well? And then the third girl was a girl called, or sorry, the only girl, but the third person on the panel was a girl called Melanie Murphy, who is a sort of new YouTube Irish YouTube star. She's only been around for about a year, and she clocked up like two hundred thousand uh, subscribers. And wow. yeah, she's doing really, really well. She does like beauty. She has a beauty channel, effectively. Um, okay. So they were the three, the three ones. Uh, they were all. I I don't like any of the channels that that they do. Like I I don't, I'm not into my beauty, and I'm not into gaming that much. But they were all really lovely people, and they had some really good advice. And they're very humble about their um, about how well they done on YouTube. So it was good. It was a lovely, friendly atmosphere. You know. Nice. It was good. It was good. Very good. So it was, there was panels then, like it was set up at, that there were how many panels throughout the day? Yeah, so there was two panels. There was like a, the, the pro panel, okay, which was the professional YouTubers, the big guys. And then there was like a rising star panel. Um, and this, this featured uh, Irish YouTubers that were significantly smaller in terms of like views and subscriber counts, but were seen to be the like the next generation of up and coming people. Um mm-hmm. To be honest, I didn't know many of them on okay. on the channel because, again, because my thing, I, I do YouTube for education. So there was no educational representation there. So I didn't really know what was going on. Yeah, you're occupying a different niche. I'm occupying a different niche and I consume pretty much only that niche as well. Right. But there was, yeah, so the Rising Star people, there was a lot of comedy people there. There was one guy, I think, who was like a, a voice actor sort of thing. There was a vlogger... And there was like a singer-songwriter type thing. Okay, cool. So it was it was pretty diverse. I, I said this to you before. I would have liked there to be education there. But that aside, there was a pretty diverse representation of the different types yeah. of channels. Which is, which is great. Because the worst thing you can have if it turns into a vlogging conference. And then you completely alienate the people who don't like vlogging, you know? Yeah. I'm surprised there wasn't any... Um... Like they didn't have like foil arms and hog or someone like that there because they've they've been pretty successful through YouTube. I thought who's foil? I'd never heard of these people. Who are they? They're a sketch comedy group. Are they Irish? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Huh. Ah, maybe they maybe they contacted them. Maybe they just couldn't make it. Yeah. You never know. Be. I must go look them up. Will you send me a link to that when we're done? I will. Yeah. No, I haven't. I haven't seen a lot of their stuff, but what I have seen is reasonably funny. So I'll. Uh, yeah. I'll. I'll Lash something towards you later. Cool, very good. Always interested to see new Irish, uh, new Irish talent. It's cool. So yeah. So um, let me see what else. Oh yes. Oh yes. This is the important thing. <laughs> um. So there was obviously at this uh, conference there was or this convention there was a lot of chance uh, to do networking. Mm-hmm. with other YouTubers and to set up collaborations and such. And uh, again, me occupying the education niche, there isn't really room for me to do this with anyone else. Yeah. And I'm really socially awkward anyway. So the prospect of having to talk <laughs> to real people and like converse with strangers was just terrifying to me. Um, <laughs> so I, I spent my time uh, trying to like bully my way into talking to the people on the inside of YouTube. Okay. And like trying to get their help and advice and trying to like, you know, be like, can you help me with things? Come on, like, is there something you can do? Can we make a deal? Can we do stuff? Um, so I, at the end of the day, and I'm not going to give details just in case I'm not allowed to talk about it. But at the end of the day, I ended up getting to talk to one of these people on the inside. And we're trying to set up a thing where I will work with uh, the people on the inside of YouTube uh, in London for a little bit. Great. Yeah, and I'm not going to say anything else more than that because, again, I don't want to... One, I don't know if it's going to actually happen. People make a lot of promises and, like, mostly they never come through. And two, I'm not sure if I can talk about details. So that's all I can say on that. Brilliant. Well, I I won't interrogate you too much further about it, but would you say that's an indication that there is hope as regards YouTube as an educational platform, that, that there's, you know, an interest has been taken or that you've been given this opportunity? I wouldn't say there's hope. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't say, like YouTube is never going to become a pro education platform. It'll be a platform with education, but it's not going to be an educational platform. Right. But I think there is I think there is hope 
that there is, there's hope within community, I think, here. Because I think what swayed the people on the inside of YouTube to actually can take my channel seriously, even with my relatively small number of subs, is that the community that I've kind of built has been really strong and actually surprisingly mm-hmm. strong because when they looked at the data going through like how engaged the subscribers are, it was way above what they had expected. Cool. Yeah. Um, so they were like, you're, you're almost your entire views are coming from your subscribers, which means that your subscribers are really loyal to you and your subject, w- subject, which means your subject clearly has some sort of standing with these people. Ergo, we can be, we should be able to work with you a little bit. Great. Which is really cool. And- I mean that's that's a credit to you because you get involved in the comments and you respond and you you um you really have sort of fostered a community there. Yeah, yeah, and the whole the whole point of Artifaction is the community element because the idea is it's I don't just put up videos and that's it. The idea is that I want people to come along on my journey trying to discover how to build like everything in a fictional universe. Mm-hmm. So th- at least I get this sense that it's very much a sort of like everyone's on the one ship and we're all going towards this destination and we don't know how long it will take for us to get there, but it's the journey that's the really interesting part, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so um, yeah, thank you. That's really nice for you to say actually as well that I'm involved in comments and things like that. I try. Oh, no, you do. I mean, like any of your videos, whenever there's um an extra question, you seem to go into the comments and you seem to respond or wherever, whenever there's a dispute or a... Uh, something that needs to be cleared up, you step in and you say, well, this is what I was trying to do and I'm happy to take correction or maybe I, or sometimes you say, maybe I explained that wrong and this is how it is. And yeah, you, you, you've uh, created a nice atmosphere around artifacts. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And yeah, again, I think this came across because the people on the inside seem to really appreciate what I've done. So yeah, it's, it's it's good. It's good. So there is there is there is hope in community. Like the only way Artifexian really is going to like prosper in the sort of more general sense is the uh, is this sort of community building, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not going to go viral. People aren't going to stumble across me and be like, oh, world building, I totally know what this is. Um, <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be a community-driven project. Yeah. So I suppose just to close off on that note, uh, I want to say thanks a lot to all the people that have clicked the subscribe button on my channel. Um, you have wowed both me and experts in YouTube by your commitment. <laughs> Which is, which is just, no, it truly is amazing. And it, it blows my mind that, like, so many people want to watch me bang on about maths and astrophysics and fictional settings, you know? <laughs> so thank you so much, guys. You, you are officially the best of us. So tell me more about this little shopping trip you went on before YouTube. The mic and DS, yeah? Yes. Yeah, so uh, well, which one do you want to hear about first, the mic or the DS? Tell me in chronological order. Oh God, now you're testing me. Uh, the frailty of human memory. Um, I think I went looking for the mic first. Okay. Yes, I did go looking for the mic first. Uh, I wanted to uh, to get myself a proper mic so when I vlog, I'm not using the built-in mic on my camera. Um, right, yeah. Yeah, so I bought myself a shotgun mic, a Rode shotgun mic. Which was, it was quite reasonable in price. And why can't you use the, the mic that you use for podcasting? Oh, right, because that's a USB mic and there's no USB thing on the camera. Okay, so you want to, like, sync it up right from the beginning, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's like the, the shotgun mic is a thing that clips into your camera, like it goes in tandem with, with, with the camera. Oh, okay. Um, so that was good, and the quality seems quite good. The only problem is, uh, and I didn't notice before buying it, because I'm still learning as I go in terms of, like, uh, tech and all that. When you put a mic, like a shotgun mic, into a DSLR camera, you get what's known as a DSLR hiss. And, right. oh my God, is it just the most terrible thing ever. It's so bad. Um, so I spent, when I got home after the conference, I spent a, like a good like three hours or so trying to unravel the mysteries of how to remove the hiss in the audio. And I think I've got it. So the proof in the pudding will be the next vlog. We'll see how it works out. Okay, so that covers the mic. Tell me more about the hot pink Nintendo DS. Okay, so this was an ordeal, right? <laughs> this was such an ordeal. I recently found out that they re-released Zelda the Ocarina of Time on the Nintendo, uh, on the tre- okay. on the 3DS. And the Ocarina of Time was probably my favorite game growing up. Um, okay. And this was, this was proper, like, you know, earth-shattering news 
that they re-released it. And I was like, right, okay, got to get myself a DS. Got to play this game again. So I went into the shop and I was like, uh, I looked at the catalogue and they had a, a selection of DSs. Uh, and I was like, all right, I'll go, with, I'll go with this one because it's on offer. I get like 50, 50 quid off, be great. And it's a nice white color, wonderful. Went up to the counter and was like, can I have the white 3DS please? And they're like, no, sorry, we're out of stock. I was like, oh, great, good, good. Uh, can I get the gray one then? And they were like, and then they, they, they did a check and they were like, no, sorry, no, we're out of stock. And then I went through every color, right? Every color they had an offer. And then eventually I just go, look, do you only have the pink one? You just just tell me. And they were like, yeah, no, the only 3DS we have in stock is the pink one. And it's not even like, you know, nice pink. It's like in your face, hot pink, like ridiculous. So I had to, I had to buy the uh, hot pink 3DS, which, which was unfortunate. And then I was like, great, can I get a charger please with, with this? Cause you know, I need to charge my Nintendo. And they were like, yeah, no, sorry. We don't have chargers in stock. And I was like, oh, for, oh God, what? Really? Wait, does, it, does it not get bundled with a charger? No, you got to buy the charger separately. That's stupid. Oh, it's listen. Don't don't get me started. It's awful. So I was like, where do I go to buy a charger if your shop does not have chargers? Uh, and they were like, oh, you can try uh, GameStop, which is kind of like this this gaming shop, gaming and like uh, rental and things like that. Uh, so I went there and I was like, have you guys got a charger for three DS? Uh, and they were like, yeah, no, sorry, we're not in stock. And I was like, great. Can you point me to another one of your stores? And they were like. I doubt the rest of us will be in stock as well because we're waiting on shipment. And I was like, oh, that eliminates oh like 90% of the stores that where I would go to to, to get this charger. And yeah. so then they sent me to another place. And I literally, I, spe- I walked around the city for like like a good hour and a half going from store to store trying to find a charger for my 3DS. And eventually after about an hour and a half, I finally got one. And I, I nearly hugged the clerk behind the counter. <laughs> Like, Where did you get it in the end? Uh, a place called HMV. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, on, I just, on Grafton Street. On no, on the north side. On oh is, yeah, is it just Henry the, Street? Henry Street, yes. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if the Amer- if the Americans listening will know what HMV is. Is this a global chain? Um, I'm pretty sure they have it in the UK at least. Um, I don't know if they have it in the states or, or anywhere else. Okay, well, so just just for the sake of you know, we all know what we're speaking about. Uh, HMV is like a music store. Would you define it like that? It's like a music and games and films sort of shop. Primarily music and films, I'd say. Yeah. Okay, so it was that sort of shop I ended up getting my uh, my charger in. But like 21st century first world shouldn't take you like the guts of two hours to buy a Nintendo. Like, no, it really, really shouldn't. Yeah, uh, it wasn't great. But then, but then. I, I went home and then I downloaded Zelda and all was well in the world. You can download games for the for the, for the 3DS. Yeah, man. We're like again, 21st century. Like, you know, we have internet connection. <laughs> I, uh, but I haven't played a handheld console since about 2003. So I actually, to be fair, the last handheld console I did play was the Game Boy Color. Right. Yeah. So I'm going uh, way back. But yeah, no, no. This is uh, internet. It's an internet-enabled device, and you can download games, which is great. Because the last Ooh. thing I need in my life life is cartridges and more clutter. Yeah. Um. Oh, sorry. I, I tell a small lie there. I did get a bit into brain training on a DS for a while. Um. My my dad had a had a DS. And, what did you think of brain training? Um. Diverting. Uh. Scientifically dubious. Yeah, I, I would go. I would go so far as to say just, just a waste of time. Like that game made me actually angry. Like it, it made me. Oh, I'm gonna like. I'm not gonna rant. I promise, because I'll go go off on one. But like, I didn't like being made feel bad that I'm not intelligent by a scientifically dubious game. You know, like that just really, really irked me. I don't know, man. S- Sudoku's are like. The worldwide standard for intelligence now. Yeah, that's true. You got to do a Sudoku to get into like Menza and things like that. <laughs> you just a really hard one. No, no, just any Sudoku. Sudoku <laughs> in and of itself is the pinnacle of human achievement when it comes to intelligence. I am. Um, I don't know if you're like this, but I get like really into puzzles when when I when I play a lot of like a particular puzzle. Okay. So I have this game on my phone called Flow Free, which is you have to connect up. Um, dots of different colours on a, on a grid and the, the lines aren't allowed to cross each other. Okay. Um, and it sounds quite simple at first. Then when you actually go and play it, it's a little bit more tricky. But I was playing loads and loads of this at one stage just because, you know, I'd play it on the bus or whatever. And then I'd 
when I went to sleep or when I went to try and go to sleep, I would have like visions of like different configurations of the board and how they'd work and how I could, how you could like solve certain spatial problems on the board. It's funny that you bring this up, right? Because I've been experiencing a very similar thing recently. With what? With Tetris. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Tetris. Yeah. Tetris is a good game for that, I think, because it is it is so visual and so kind of so patterny. Yeah, like the combinations. Like good Tetris players will will learn combinations, and so I find myself before sleep, uh, before I go to sleep, thinking about the various combinations, like what blocks fit on the yellow block in what manner, and then I end up doing mm-hmm. this so much I end up dreaming about them at night. <laughs> and so uh, it was the night before last. I had a big Tetris dream. Like, I woke up in the morning feeling like I had just, like, gone 10 rounds with Ali, except, you know, in a Tetris sense. But I, I get it very much with Sudoku. Really? Yeah, I get it with Sudoku. Like, I'll, I'll like, be going to sleep and I'll have visions of Sudoku boards and patterns and stuff. Oh, wow. You operate on a much higher level than I do. I don't think I could do that. There's, there's too many variables for me to be able to visualize that in Sudoku. Oh, yeah. No, I could never do that. Really? Yeah, that that sounds impossible. See, for me, I always think like, no, I, I haven't, I haven't tried them. But you you see the Sudoku puzzles with kind of extra limitations, like coloured zones uh, within the squares or coloured zones going between squares, and that just sounds to me like it makes it easier because you've more things, more criteria on which to eliminate possibilities. Right, but how does that tie into your visualization? No, but you see that there's too many variables, and what I'm saying is the fact that there's more variables seems to make it easier because you've more thing, more bases on which to disallow certain decisions. Yeah, but you also have more criteria to visualize as well. Oh yeah, I see your point. Like I don't, I don't visualize full boards. I, 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 I visualize kind of areas and and like certain patterns and certain relationships. I don't like visualize the whole 81 squares or whatever. Okay, because so I will visualize the entire Tetris board. Yeah. When I'm playing, right? So that's, I've made a mistake there. So I was I was putting how I think about Tetris onto how you think about Sudoku. But oh no, I, I, I don't visualize the whole like 91 squares and every, every connection between them. I feel like I'd be exhausted after five 81. minutes of trying to do that. <laughs> But you see, it's, it's not that I'm trying to do it. It's just like, it'll be in my head. If I've been thinking about it loads from doing the puzzle, like, mm. then when I go and I'm idle, it'll kind of just like still be, the, the wheel will still be spinning, throwing out ideas. Anyways, Star Trek. Star Trek. Let's do this. We're an hour into recording. Oh, Lord. And we've yet to get the bit that I'm going to rant something serious about. <laughs> Uh, so Bill's... So you enjoyed Starship Mine then? <laughs> oh yeah, so much. Well, let's backtrack a little bit. Uh, so Bill set me the task of watching a Star Trek The Next Generation episode called Starship Mine, which I think was season six, episode 18. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I'll link to this in the show notes. And I would advise anyone to pause here and go watch the episode first, because if if the last t- time is anything to go by, I don't think we're going to do a very good job of clearly stating what the premise of the show is. All right. So well, I, I I can have a go at that right now. Yeah. No. Well, you did a good job. I did not. I always <laughs> derail these things, Bill. Right. So I would advise people to go watch it and come back here to our little corner of the internet and listen to us complain about it. Well. Well, some of us. So, needless to say, Bill thought this was a good episode. I did not. And I watched it again last night, Bill. Did you? Boy, was it horrible. <laughs> Why did you do that? Well, because I had watched it several times in the lead up to the first attempt at recording this podcast. And that was like, was that a week ago or two weeks ago we had attempted to record this? Two weeks ago, I think. Two weeks ago, right? It was so- the 25th. Right, so it's been two weeks since I've watched it, and I was like, I'm definitely not going to be able to speak well about this without having the details fresh in my mind. So I had to, uh, I had to go off and watch it again, Bill. <laughs> and boy, did it not increase in quality. <laughs> so do you want to do you want to give the people a rundown on what you think a brief summary of this episode is? Okay, the Enterprise is going in for some sort of repairs and a kind of a dry dock. I think it's called a baryon sweep. It is. 
and the baryon sweep will kill a kind of organic matter or something to this effect. It's lethal to, to humans anyway, or mm. to, to sentient life. So it's in it's in the dock, and this crew are all transported down to the surface of the planet. And Picard is... Oh, the crew are all at a, a function hosted by an extremely boring Starfleet officer who is stationed on this planet. And Picard hears that there is horse riding available. So he re- returns to the Enterprise before the Baryon Sweep begins to get his saddle so he can go horse riding. Uh, but as he's there, he discovers that mercenaries or terrorists, some form of baddie, have stowed onto the ship under the guise of maintenance workers and are planning some kind of plot, like to destroy the ship or to plant a bomb or something like that. And he is the only person, the only Starfleet person left aboard the ship and he must defeat them and save the the Enterprise before they carry out their plot and before he himself is killed by the Baryon Sweep. Yep, that's a, a very good summary of what went on. So... The reason why, listeners, this is a terrible episode of Star Trek, and no matter what Bill says, it's terrible, is that this is effectively Die Hard in space. I hate Die Hard, like, with, with, with a passion. So wrong. <laughs> so, so wrong. And then, let it be noted, one hour, seven minutes, the point where everyone stops listening to this podcast. no i i don't get die hard it's just a lot of explosions and a lot of macho-ness that i just don't understand and they put this in star trek picard effectively plays john mcclain uh in this episode and it just destroys everything that is good about star trek for me what's your retort bill i like this episode on a number of levels i really like patrick stewart I think Patrick Stewart is a really cool guy. I really like Picard. Uh-huh. He's a great character. I really like Die Hard. <laughs> Can I, you know, back up a second. Why is Picard great? Um, I don't, I don't know what it is about him. It, he's just, he's just a kind of a compelling individual and his sort of resoluteness and the fact he's Patrick Stewart doesn't hurt. Um... <laughs> I, I, I can't put into to words exactly what it is I like about him. I'll tell you why Patrick Stewart's great, why Picard is great, okay? Why is that? It's because he's intelligent. He represents a higher form of uh, human evolution. Throughout the entire Star Trek, the Next Generation episodes, or series, should I say, he has always represented a person that will overcome all situations with intelligence and calmness and never really resort to violence. And this episode completely tore that apart because Picard goes all MacGyver on them. And it's all about, like, macho-ness and, oh, no, it's just, it, it ruins everything that makes Picard great. I, I just like seeing that he was capable of that when necessary. That he was still, like, personally a badass. And that he ha- he does have that capability within him when it is required, as it was required in the, the, the context of this episode. Okay, fair point, but I think it undermines Roddenberry's vision of the future. You know? Yeah, but, I mean, I don't think he has an exclusive right to how how everything in, in the Star Trek universe takes place, and it's not like there hasn't been a load of other stuff that did that as well. Like the existence of the Marquis. Oh, who are these now? They they come up later in um, DS Nine and Voyager. I think they're like a they're anti Starfleet kind of human resistance group essentially. Oh, I have just uh, I'm just through the first season of uh, Deep Space Nine, so I oh I, cool. I don't know about these people. I've never watched Deep Space Nine and beyond. Actually, I've only ever watched the original series and the Next Generation. So I've started doing that now. So uh, what are you, what are you making of DS Nine so far? DS9 is great. I really like DS9. I was mm. I was skeptical because the idea that they would be stationary didn't sit well with me. Like they weren't able to go across travels across the galaxy and things like that. The fact that all the action had to come to Deep Space 9 didn't sit well with me. But yeah. it it works out absolutely fine. Like it's really really cool and it's dark and it's gritty and Cisco. Now, if Cisco was in 
Picard's position in Starship Mine, I would have been like, fine, good, great, that's perfect. But not Picard, Bill. Not Picard. Um, yeah, Cisco's a cool character. Do you know about like Cisco's backstory and his like kind of relationship with Picard? Uh, yeah, in the first episode, they go through it. He doesn't like Picard because Picard okay. uh, became Borg for a bit. Yeah, at the Battle of Wolf 359. Which I which I found terrible. I was like, that's irrational. He didn't like go, oh, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to join the Borg, because that would be a great idea. He was taken by force. It wasn't his fault. Yeah, but like, in fairness, the dude lost his wife at, the, at Wolf 359. It's not, the, it's not exactly the moment for super reason. Yeah, but this is the difference between Picard and, and Cisco, I think. Cisco is that, uh, represents the more kind of like a... Uh, uh, rawness of the human condition where Picard represents sort of like the logical and like the correct, the morally correct thing to do sort of thing. So I think Picard, if roles were reversed, Picard I think would have accepted it. Uh, where Cisco was more kind of, you know, raucous in his hate. Mm. Cisco would have been a perfect character to be put aboard the, the, the Enterprise in Starship Mine, I think. But even within the next generation, Bill, they could have put Worf aboard the Enterprise to go all MacGyver and John McClane and defeat the terrorists. I know, but, he, like, Picard's the captain. You know, the captain has the ultimate responsibility for, for it. That's kind of... That's part of what I liked about it. Oh, no. I know. I know. It really stuck out with me as well because, like, they, they dismiss Worf from the episode... You know, like, I think that's why it particularly didn't sit well, well with me, because they, like, deliberately make a point of getting rid of Worf, because he has to be excused from the reception on the planet. Right. And you don't see him again ever in the episode until the very end when he recovers Picard's saddle. saddle. The yeah, the fact that they made a point of, like, Worf is not here to do this kind of made me think, Worf should be here to do this. Right, it made it seem like they were shoehorning it. Yeah, a little bit. And then okay. further on that side, this is going to be an awful lot of bashing of this episode because, you know, I really didn't like it. If I was the captain of a starship, right? Like the flagship for Starfleet, okay? Yeah. And it was in a dry dock with all systems powered off, so effectively defenseless, right? And the crew would be many, many, many thousands of, uh, of kilometers away. I would try and ensure that there is some level of security on the Enterprise. Now, you can't leave people, obviously, because the baryon sweep is deadly to organic matter. But you yeah. could leave data on board. Why not leave data just sitting there? Like, the whole poor story build did not have to happen. Oh! That's a pretty good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't a fan. I did like uh, Commander Hutchinson. Was he the real boring guy? He's the boring guy with small talk. And I love the interplay between him and Data, which was proper funny. Like Data was trying to perfect the art of small talk. Um, right. <laughs> and so he so he mimics Hutchinson and the two of them are so similar. They end up getting on like a house on fire. Like, <laughs> and I, like for, for what seems like in the show hours, they just bang on at each other about the most useless of points Ever and would, and it's hilarious because it neither one actually ever listens to the other one. Wonderful. They just talk at one another. It's so funny. But then, then they mess it up as well, Bill, because Hutchison gets hit by uh, a phaser and then he just disappears from the show as well, like un- inexplicably. Suddenly he's gone, and it's like, why are you doing this to me, writers? Why are you aggravating me? Um, another little neat bit of trivia about the show. Go for it is one of the mercenaries is played by Tim Russ. Yes. Who would later play Tuvok, who was, I think, the security officer in Voyager. In Voyager, yeah. I Again, I haven't seen Voyager, but I have read this. The internet tells me these things. Voyager has about four episodes. <laughs> Go on. It uses, like, it, it has four episodes. There's the one with the away mission, the one where there's a crisis aboard Voyager, Weird ones with Q, and then there's like a medical emergency. There's there's like four distinct episodes that they just recycle and recycle and recycle and recycle. Two points on that. One. What? I like the premise for Voyager. I think the premise is really cool. Like it's like uh, as in that that they are like away in the Delta Quadrant or whatever. Yeah, and they're just like yeah, make fine. make a beeline for home. Just 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 go for it. And it's cool yeah. because it's like the antithesis of uh, Deep Space Nine. 
Yeah, that's quite an interesting point. Yeah, which which I think is really good. And the second point I wanted to uh, say is that boy, do I also dislike Q. Really? Like most times, I see Q. I, the urge to turn off the episode comes pretty fast. <laughs> like I just don't. I don't like him. I, I like. I don't like. Uh, I know it's in his character. I don't like his arrogance and his smugness. And this is going to sound terrible, but I don't like the actor that plays him. I don't like the way he looks. He just looks grimy and smug, and I just want to be like, "No, stop! <laughs> just, just go away." You really hate the the Q episodes in Voyager, then. Can I propose a system? Uh, can I propose a rewrite of the Starship Mind script? Okay, to you. You can propose whatever you want, Edgar. And then will you will you tell me what you think of it? Okay. Okay. Now this is just me ad libbing here. I haven't planned this. It's just popped into my head. So here's the premise: the Enterprise is in dry dock, undergoing the Baryon sweep. Okay. Yep. Just like in Starship Mind. Everyone has been transported down to the surface, including Picard. Okay. Including Data? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Data, no. Mm, do we keep... Let's keep Data on board. Data, okay. data stays on board as a security measure. Um, yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Here we go. And everyone else is uh, down on the surface at the reception, Commander Hutchinson's reception. The same stuff with, uh, with the small talk... You could incorporate that with a different character, say. With Hutchinson. Uh, I don't know how you could work that, but you can make it happen. Because I like the small talk. I do like the small talk. But we need data on the start. Wesley. Oh, man. Where's... I hate Wesley as well. And anyway, he hasn't shown up in weeks. Wesley's... Wesley's like Q. Q and Wesley look very similar. Both of them irritate me. Just the actors. Sorry. Sorry, Will Wheaton. But you just have a very annoying face. And I just, but he's oh. lovely now. Oh he oh he's got a really nice YouTube channel. He does um, he does like uh, tabletop. Yeah, tabletop games, which is class. Really class. Anyhow, don't derail me, Bill. I will do I will derail myself, okay? <laughs> don't, don't derail me. <laughs> so data's on board, everyone else is below. No one wants to be there, but they can't find a reasonable excuse to get back on board, okay? Okay. Right. Data is doing rounds on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. just scanning and checking things. And then he notices that some people are still on board, okay? So he tries to communicate down to the surface and he can't because the Baryon sweep is interrupting his communicator. Okay? Fair enough. Which is what is stated in Starship Mine anyways. And so uh, he does a little bit of like, you know, tech magic and makes, uh, a, like, you know, modifies a frequency that only his, only his sense signal and receive signal can be, can be exchanged. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's able to communicate down. Okay. And obviously he will want captain's permission to be able to do certain things because, you know, captain's orders and it's the captain's ship. Okay. Right. Yes. You with me? Yeah, I think so. Good. Good. Right. So then, then basically what ensues, right, is, will be a fight between data's logic like cold logic, like unhuman logic in a way to resolve the situation. And you could have periodic like interchanges with him and Picard where Picard uses his extreme intelligence and cunning to like get data to resolve the situation in an imperfectly peaceful manner. And I think that would paint Picard as a total badass because he could be thousands of kilometers removed, right? And still convince an android to to do the morally correct and intelligent things to do. That'll be pretty badass. Do you think so? Yeah. Would you watch that over MacGyver Picard? McLean Picard. No, I'm gonna. Right. I'm gonna call him MacGyver because he makes his own arrows and he does a whole load of like ad hoc things, and it, that represents the macho ness of this episode. Like when he hits Tim Russ with a saddle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Listeners, if you haven't watched this, he there is a point. Picard says, "Oh, I need to go back to the Enterprise to get my saddle," and it's it's like portrayed as this in joke that he's just a stupid excuse for him to leave the reception and not be around the guy who talks too much. But it turns out he actually legitimately has a saddle on the Enterprise, like a proper big ass saddle. Saddle, and then he meets big old leather saddle. Big old leather saddle, and then he meets the first terrorist and effectively defeats the terrorist by throwing a saddle at him, which is just—it is quite funny. I'm gonna admit that's a very good moment. Um, it's it's satisfying. That would be satisfying to me in a different way than Starship Mine currently is, and it would. I I, I accept that it would make more sense in the context of. Picard's character, but 
I don't know. I just I really like Die Hard, and I really like this this kind of thing that happened in media in the nineties that a lot of things did hide that they did Die Hard. Yeah, like, like Starship Mine, and I think one of my favorite examples is Air Force One with Harrison Ford, where Die Hard on an airplane, Die Hard on Air Force One, <laughs> and the John McClane character is Harrison Ford, who is the president of the United States. And the bad guy is Gary Oldman. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. That is a stupid movie. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise that this Die Hard on an X was a trope until you pointed it out. And then I went yeah. down the wormhole of looking at these things and, oh my God, everything has a Die Hard on whatever. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. Can I ask the listeners if they're interested? Tell me, first of all, in uh, on the subreddit or by email, what you thought of this episode, if you watched it. Uh, and who you agree with, me or Bill. <laughs> because, you know, clearly this is a popularity contest. And then uh, the second point is, if you didn't like it, suggest a, re- a rewrite. I'd love to know how people would go about changing it to fit what they think are the ideal Star Trek characters. That'd be really interesting, I think. Yeah. Oh, and one final point. This. Sorry, I'm talking loads, but no, I'm nearly done. At one point, this is a really cool thing in the episode. Picard takes down the first terrorist with the uh, Vulcan pinch. Did you oh, notice does this? He? Yeah, he does. And then I thought about that and went, what? How does he know the Vulcan pinch? And then suddenly a whole raft of lore popped into my head, which is great. If a show can trigger you to remember the world building or um, the lore building behind it, it's a good thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, because he, he mind melded with Spock's fodder in a previous episode. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Spock's father was suffering from a an old age disease that Vulcan gets Vulcans get where they become emotional. Right. And Spock's father couldn't allow this to happen because he had to do this treaty or whatever and he had to remain strictly logical. So mm-hmm. Picard offered himself up and was like, here, look, you mind meld with me and you take my mental stability for the duration of of this this like treaty meeting. Um, so he became one with Spock's father. So he obviously would have picked up some Vulcan things from him. And also, he met Spock on Romulus before. And they spent a lot of time together. So maybe perhaps Spock taught him how to do the Vulcan pinch. Which was great. When that happened in Starship Mine, it triggered so much lore. It was awesome. Really good. That's cool. That, that is actually really cool. That's, that is the, the highlight of that episode for me. That, I thought that was brilliant. And this thing about him meeting Spock, um, did that happen in the episode or, or in an episode or is it yeah. just in the backstory? Or No, no, it happened in, in, in two episodes. It's a pretty big deal because they made a two-part episode of it. Um, okay. It's where Spock has been spotted on Romulus and Starfleet think that he is a traitor and he's, right. he's gone over to the Romulan side. But really what he was doing was he was uh, undercover over there to investigate the idea that like normal Romulan people want to reconnect with the Vulcans. Right. So he was on a peace and ambassadorial mission um, over there. And so Picard is sent in covertly. Picard and crew are sent in covertly to find the traitor Spock. But then they find out his mission and, you know, they're sympathetic towards it and they help yeah. him out and things like that. It was great to watch Picard and Leonard Nimoy together. Awesome. It was very sad because um, Leonard Nimoy passed there about a week ago, didn't he? He did. He did. Yeah. He he lives long and prospers no more. That is so Federation, though, that like their Black Ops missions are like Black Ops diplomacy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> it's great. Okay, right. Uh, speaking of going live, Edgar... Uh, next episode is going to be live, isn't it? This is the, our final pre-recorded episode before the launch. This is our final pre-recorded episode. Yes, the next episode we will be we will be live, which is which is kind of weird to say, Bill, isn't it? Because you're not really yeah. live. It's not like we're streaming live at the internet right now, but we're no. as live as a podcast can be. We're waiting eagerly for anyone to click play so we can begin talking. Yeah, this is true. That's the where our entire lives are sat in front of our laptops, just waiting for that solitary person to come along and hit the play button. Yeah. Well, yes, yes, listeners, we are live. Episode four uh, will be current and up to date. 
And so I thought what would be a good idea is if we remind you of how to get in contact with the show. Uh, so you can leave us your comments, feedback, suggest improvements, all that sort of thing. Good idea, Bill? Sounds good to me. Cool. So uh, the subreddit, Bill, is up and running. Is it? It is up and running. We'll put I'm going to the- subscribe right now. Ah, uh, you can't. It's on private. All right. Yeah, I have it on well, private. Well, I knew that already. <laughs> But yeah, so the uh, the subreddit is up and running. I have a few minor tweaks to do before it officially goes live and off private. But that's the best place, listeners, where you can find us. Both me and Bill will do our best to be as active as we possibly can in the comments on the subreddit. Uh, so head on over there if you want to talk to us. Uh, that will be or slash Artifexian. Yeah? Excellent. Cool. Uh, you can email the show at edgar at Artifexian.com. And, and that will be that will reach both of us, even though it says to Edgar yeah, in the title, it is an account that both of us can access and reply to. Yeah, like we said in the first episode, Edgar Edgar's not good at naming things. <laughs> <laughs> not good, not good. Um, anyhow, so uh, you can, yeah, subreddit, email. You can obviously find me through my usual routes, which is my uh, Artifexian Facebook, www.facebook.com forward slash Artifexian. You can tweet at me as well, which is, you know, uh, at Artifexian. So there's all the ways you can contact us, guys. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you. Please leave stuff in the comments. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we will see you in the near future. Absolutely. Edgar out. So when you're doing the regular videos, do you just use the mic on your camera? No, when I'm doing the regular videos, I use the um, the podcasting mic. Sorry, can you take that out? Because that is such a f- stupid question that I just asked. Man, there's no such thing as a stupid question. <laughs> no, dude, see, that that was uh, that was moronic. Of well, me. I'm going to have to take it out because you swore. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Plan all along. <laughs> <laughs> um, you never know. That could make the extra section, though, Bill.